with me to James chapter 1. I know it's warm and I know it's stuffy, but let's look together to God's words. So please stick with me as we look at James chapter 1. And we're going to look from verse 2 onwards. So in the film industry um, in the United States, in Hollywood, um, the big production companies, what they, they, they seem to do is they seem to follow each other's lead, don't they? So let's say Miramax releases a film, uh, a superhero film, then we know that what's going to happen pretty soon after that is, let's say, Paramount or Universal, they're going to follow suit and soon... Pretty soon, our cinemas are going to be jam-packed with superhero films, you know, similar sorts of movies. And a few years ago, it wasn't superhero films that were in vogue. It was films that had a similar structure, okay? Films that had a similar structure. So we had films like Crash, films that were made up of seemingly independent storylines, but films eventually show that all those storylines kind of came together. All those storylines were actually related and were interlocking. And that's what we're dealing with in the first chapter of James. Because you see, uh, the first time we read through it, from verse 2 to verse 18, it seems to be all over the shop, doesn't it? It seems to be all over the place. You know, it seems to be this kind of collection of unrelated, independent sections, because it starts with joy, and then he goes into wisdom, and then there's riches, and there's poverty, and then there's trials. Well, hopefully tonight, What we'll see is that they're not unrelated. Hopefully we'll see that these, this whole section here, it is united and it's united under a common theme. And that theme is facing trials head on. It's united. Facing trials head on. Now, I don't know if you've got a good memory for these sorts of things or not. But if you do, you might be thinking that we looked at testing and trials I don't know, six weeks ago, something like that, when we were looking at Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. But if, even if you do remember that, please be assured that we are not tonight just rehashing uh, Similar points. You see, James comes at trials from a different place. He comes at trials from a different angle. It's more about here our response to testing rather than an example of a specific individual. But having said that, just like that sermon we had in Genesis tonight, we're going to have three points on God's testing. Three points. On God's test. 
So let's consider our first one, and that is a perspective on testing. A perspective on testing. And what we'll do is we'll look at verse 2 to verse 8, that first section of this passage. So a perspective on testing. So let's start this with a very, very simple and a very, very obvious biblical truth. And it's something that cannot be repeated often enough. And that is that if you're a believer tonight in Jesus Christ, are you a believer in Jesus? Well, if you are, you are going to face really difficult times in the future. If you're not facing them just now, you are going to face trials and testing in your life as a Christian. The Christian life is not an easy life. Now, if that was the end of the story, then it would be a pretty depressing and pretty bleak story, wouldn't it? But thankfully it's not. Thankfully, this is where the book of James steps in. You see, because trials are a a reality then God steps in and he helps us. He provides, through James, he provides teaching on how we're going to cope when these really difficult and dark nights come our way. So what does God say? What does James say here? The first thing he says Sounds almost ridiculous. It is surely one of the most, verse 2, one of the most counterintuitive verses that you're going to read in the whole Bible. What does he say in verse 2? He says that we can find joy. Joy in times of suffering. Now that sounds like madness, doesn't it? Joy in suffering. So what is he talking about? Well, let's get it straight. James here is not talking about emotion. James is not talking about superficial emotion. He's not saying that when you suffer as a believer, that you should be smiling. You know, he's not saying that when that diagnosis comes, or that really difficult time comes, he's not saying that we should be laughing and that we should be cracking jokes. No, suffering is a terrible thing. And God knows that. And it was never, ever part of God's original creation. James isn't calling for laughter. He's calling for us to have a different perspective on hard times to the rest of the world. He's calling us to have a different perspective. Now, what's that? Well, as, as part of my training for the ministry in the Free Church College in Edinburgh, all the guys, what we had to do is we had to endure a psalm singing class. Okay? Everyone, every minister in the Free Church has to go through this module, a psalm singing class. Don't ask me why. But the end of the 
the class. The goal that this class is building up to is a kind of exam where all the free church candidates have to stand in front of everyone and they have to present a psalm. And I tell you, that is a daunting thing to do. And I was absolutely petrified about doing it. But, but, a couple of weeks before it was, you know, my turn to do it, I went out at the weekend to preach, as we usually did. We'd go out to preach various places throughout Scotland. And I went to a church in the west coast of Scotland. I'd never been there before. And I went in, and I knocked on the door of the church, because there was nobody there. And then the door opened, and there was a lovely old lady there. And she looked at me and said, Nice to meet you, Mr. Pearson. I hope you know we don't have a presenter, and you are going to have to do it this morning and my heart stopped you know I was just you know the colour drained from my face and I was panicking and I was just so scared but I did it and do you know what I'm very very thankful that that happened because it helped me when I went back to college it helped me with the, with the psalm singing class that experience it developed my confidence and it helped me towards my goal of singing in front of the college. Now keep that in mind and see that that's what we've got in James chapter 1. He's saying the same sort of thing. He's saying that you and I can experience joy in trials. Why? Why can we get joy from it? Because they develop us towards our goal. Now, what does he say our goal is here? Well, he makes it really, really clear. He says, our goal is spiritual completeness. He says, the goal that we've got to be working for is Christian maturity. And he says that you and I, when we go through suffering, when we go through hard times, when we go through trials, we can rejoice. Because these things are God-given opportunities to fast-track spiritual growth. Trials are God-given opportunities to fast-track spiritual growth. Now, what do you think? What do you think? Does that sound... Does that sound fanciful? Does it sound, does it sound hard to take? You know, perhaps you've gone through a tough time in the last couple of years. You know, you perhaps are going through a tough time just now. Does this idea here in James that you can derive joy from hard times, does that sound distant? Does that sound kind of remote? Well, thankfully, James doesn't leave his teaching there, does he? He goes on. And he says to us, if we can't see it, if we can't match up our suffering with God's goodness, then there's something that we've got to do. There's something that we must do. He says, if you can't see joy in God's testing, verse 5, pray. Come to God. Ask him for for wisdom in these things. Ask him for, for understanding about these trials. Ask him for insight. You see, 
when these dark times come, we do pray. I'm sure you pray when you're going through hard times. But sometimes we just pray for release, don't we? Sometimes we just pray that God would lift these burdens and these difficulties away from us. Well, James is not saying that. James James is saying something that is altogether much, much more radical than that. He's saying pray for wisdom. Pray that you see God's hand in these trials. And pray that you can rejoice, that you can persevere, and that you grow in grace through difficulties. Now, folks, do you do that? Is that how you think about trials and testing and suffering? Do you think in those sorts of terms? Do you think about suffering as an opportunity? Do you think about it as a gift from God to fast-track your your spiritual development? I would urge you tonight that if things are bad, then don't despair. Despair. You know, your God doesn't leave you. He loves you. And these things that you're going through, they are for your good. They are for your spiritual benefit. So a perspective on testing. A perspective. Okay? Right, now, when you're writing sermons... There's another thing, I suppose, that goes back to the Free Church College. When you're writing sermons, there are a few golden rules that you're given when it comes to sermon illustrations. Okay? The first golden rule is that because it alienates half of the congregation, you never, under any circumstances, speak about football. Never speak about football. And I broke that rule this morning. Because I talked about racism at Italian football matches. That's the first rule. Already broken. The second rule is that because it embarrasses them, never give a sermon illustration about your children. Which again, I broke this morning when I was talking about gentleness with my children. Now, what I perhaps should have said last week is that the letter of James, it reads like a sermon. It reads like a sermon. Because what happens is that it moves, James moves from point to point. He moves in crescendos and climaxes. He talks in imperatives with instruction. And in the next section... So we've seen 2 to 8, but now from verse 9 to 11, we see that he also uses illustrations. And that's what we've got in our second point. Our second point is a picture of testing. It's about an illustration. James uses an illustration, a picture of testing. So what's it all about? What is this illustration all about? Well, it's about the biggest... And the grandest and the most difficult test that Christians face. Do you see it? Verse 9 to 11. It's the test 
of money. It's the test of material wealth. And James begins this illustration by focusing on the poor. He says, essentially, friends, brothers, poverty is a test. It's a test to see that whether in times of material hardship we turn away from God or whether even when things are difficult materially, do we rejoice and do we see our identity in Jesus Christ? It's a test of how we view ourselves. He says, verse 9, the brother in humble circumstances, he ought to take pride in his high position. Now that might ring true for you tonight. I don't know. It might be the case this evening that things are pretty tight financially. Now, I ask you, if that's the case, are you passing the test here? Are you viewing that hardship, that material difficulty, are you viewing that as a gift from God? Are you viewing that as an opportunity to give him glory? Are you able to rejoice? Because even though money's tight, you have got immeasurable spiritual wealth. So he talks about poverty. That's how he starts his illustration. But what he does next is really surprising, isn't it? What does he do? Well, he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't leave it at poverty. James says, that even riches, that prosperity is a test from God. So what does he say? He says, riches are a test. They're a test to see whether at times of prosperity, we place our trust in finance. We place our trust in wealth. Or whether even when things are going well, we rejoice not in that which is fleeting and passes away. No, even in times of riches, we rejoice not in our wealth, but in our status before God. What does he say in verse 10? He says, the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. Now, what could be happening just now is that you're sitting there and you... You're thinking, yeah, I see that the letter of James is interesting. You can think that this is a great book, but that it is not relevant to yourself. That all this talk of testing, all this talk of suffering, all this talk of trials, it's not relevant to you. You see, things might be going great for you tonight. Things might be going well at work or at university. Things might be going splendidly just now. This talk of trials doesn't affect me at all. Well, if you're thinking like that, I would urge you to to reconsider. Because what's James saying in this illustration? He's saying that not just negative things are trials from God. He's saying that even positive things are tests of your faith. You know, he's saying that that clean bill of health that you had from the doctor, 
He's saying that that job promotion that might be coming your way, that pay rise, he's saying that all of these things, they are tests. They are tests of your faith. So regardless of where you're at tonight, whether you are going through a hard time or whether things are rosy and great, know that this is relevant for you. There are tests in your life. The question is not whether you are being tested. The question is whether you're seeing it. Are you seeing it? And are you passing the test? Are you growing in grace? Are you seeing these opportunities from God? So the second point is the picture of testing. Okay, our third and final point tonight. The problem of testing. The problem of testing. Okay. Right, so we had a football illustration this morning. So I'm breaking rules. I might as well carry on doing that. So let's have a cricket illustration uh, really to complete the set tonight. So I remember um, as a child I was a fanatical supporter of the West Indian cricket team. I loved watching them and I remember sitting as a boy and I was watching my hero, a guy called Kirtley Ambrose and he was coming in to bowl and he was bowling against the, uh, the, the England cricket team and he was having no joy whatsoever and the England batsmen were, were smacking him to all ends of the park. So what did he do? Well he did something unusual. He took the ball and he changed his grip ever so slightly. He changed how he held the ball by a couple of millimetres and then he went back into bowl. And it was the most devastating spell of fast bowling I've seen. He got an England batsman out and then another one and then another one. You see, it was the slightest, ever so slight change but it made a huge, huge difference. And that's the same here. Because James concludes his Luke trials from, from verse 13 to 18. So the last section, he concludes looking at trials. And what he does is he shifts his focus ever so slightly. There's just this slight change, but what a difference it makes. Now, did you see the change? He's been talking about what? Trials. He's been talking about testing, but he changes it. At the end, he starts talking about temptation rather than testing. It's a slight change, but it's a big one. Now, what is the difference between the two, between testing and temptation? Well, hopefully we've seen tonight that a test is a gift from God. It is a good thing. But a temptation is something altogether different. A temptation, it is an inner enticement to turn away from God. A temptation is an inner enticement to turn towards sin. So why why go down this route? Why does James change tax slightly? Why talk about temptation? You see, folks, what he's doing is he's showing his readers who is at fault 
when we fail God's tests. He shows us who's at fault when we sin. So what does he say? Well, he says firstly that God is not to blame when we turn away from him. He says that God is in no way compatible with temptation. God never leads us into sin. It's not his fault. So God's not to blame. (laughs) Then James goes on to tell us where blame does lie when we fail these tests that God sets for our spiritual good. And to be honest, and I'm sure you'd agree with this, what he says, it doesn't really make for easy reading at all. Because he says that when we fail tests, God's not to blame and Satan is not to blame. The blame lies exclusively, 100%, with ourselves. And what he does is he uses the most graphic and vivid language to make his point. He uses the language of a seductress. The language of adultery to make his point here. He says in verse 15 that our desires, female word, they lure us. They seduce us into sin. And that that sin eventually leads to spiritual death. So I'm sure you'd agree that is a pretty graphic and pretty grim picture he paints. That's fine. What does it mean? What are you and I going to take from this tonight? What are we going to take from that last point? How are we going to apply it to our lives? Let's take two things away. Two things tonight. One, if things are bad, and if things are bad for you tonight, then do not blame your God. Do not blame God. He loves you. He is not luring you into sin. He's acting to bring you to spiritual good. Don't blame God. But the second application is is more difficult. You see, friends, that we are the people who are to blame for our failing of these tests. It means that you and I have to look out with ourselves for help. Do you see that? You know, we're weak, aren't we? We're sinful. We don't have the strength and the ability to pass these tests. So we have to look to somewhere else for help. We have to look to someone else for help. So where should we look? Well, James concludes this section here. And he does so with a reminder. He says that every good and perfect gift, every good, every perfect gift, it comes from God. He tells us, verse 18, that such is God's goodness. What does he do? Such is his goodness that he provides new birth. How does he do that? He does it through the gospel. He does it through his word of truth. So where do we look when things are going bad? We look 
to the one that God has provided. We look to the one who himself persevered through testing, the one who persevered perfectly, the one who, Hebrews tells us, endured trial, endured suffering, endured the cross. We have to look to Jesus Christ. And if we do that, if we look to Jesus at times of trial, what's going to happen? Well, we've looked at the three sections, haven't we, tonight? We've looked from verse 2 to verse 18. We've covered the whole thing, have we not? But we haven't. We missed out one verse. Did you see what verse it was? It's verse 12. Just listen to that promise. It says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So friends, know this as we close tonight. Know that you are going to suffer. You are going to face a trial and you are going to face a very, very difficult test. But also know That if you place your trust in Jesus Christ, that the crown of life is coming to you. And if you place your trust in him, then you can persevere and you can get through even the toughest and the darkest of nights. Okay. Let's pray.